You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Youth and Young Adults Minister, Kirk McKenzie. can be found on page 952 of the Pew Bibles. So this passage is in the middle of a letter um, from Paul to some Christians. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for the righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Thank you, Steph. So we're going to look at that passage in detail, so do keep it open. And um, be ready to look up different sections as we go through. What I want to do tonight is um, play a clip for you from a TV show called The Good Place. Has anyone seen this on Netflix? Sort of a light-hearted comedy. Pretty good if you just want something not too taxing to wind down, have a bit of a, a, bit of a laugh. Um, but basically, here's the premise of the show. When you die, it's all set in the afterlife... When you die, you either go to the good place or to the bad place. And the characters in the show have gone to the good place and they learn about it and they work it all out. And what we're going to show you is right from the first episode, they have a little orientation session uh, where they explain how you get into the good place and it's going to set the scene for what we talk about today. So let's have a look. All right, so it sets up this system that... Uh, if you're really, really good, and if you build up enough good deeds, perhaps represented by these Duplo blocks, you know, so if you build up enough, then you're going to get into the good place. But of course, if you do bad things, you sort of lose, you know, you're not building up enough and your score goes down and so on. Now, I would suggest that this sort of idea of what happens after we die has probably been believed by most of the people in the room at some point during your life. It's just my observation. I have no scientific research to back this up. But I reckon, particularly if you've grown up in Australia, that this idea of good people going to a good place and bad people going to a bad place, whether you call it heaven and hell or not, 
is very common for people to believe at some point during their life. In fact, I would even suggest that a lot of people think that this is what Christianity is. That's what it's about. It's not, for reasons that's going to become clear as we go through tonight, but it's a very, very common idea. And they just, in the show, it's a, it's a comedy show, right? They don't get too serious about it. But you could easily, and they try not to attach it to any particular religion or God, but it's easy to attach God to this idea, isn't it? And go, well, if God exists and he's in control of everything, he's probably the one who decides what's good and what's bad. And so then, if he's the one who decides what's good and what's bad, then you want to know, well, what does God think is good? And what does he think is bad as far as the way we live? And then you go, well, I mean, how religious do these good actions need to be? Like, are you all scoring points right now because you're in church? But then are you undoing it if you've got bad motivations? Like, you know, maybe you got dragged along by your family or... You grudgingly came because you had a role and otherwise you know, you're on the roster. <laughs> like, how does, how does this all work, you know, and how much does God care about the religious stuff? And so it starts to get very complicated and yet it seems like we're all in this competition to build up our good deeds as high as we possibly can in some hope that by the end of our life we're close enough to God that he'll go, yeah, you're all right, you're good. Now, there's a word in the passage today that pops up a couple of times. The word is righteous or variations on that. And loosely translated, righteous means being right with God. There's a whole lot of depth to that that we won't go into in great detail. But being right with God, getting a thumbs up from God, not getting a thumbs down. That's what it means to be righteous, at least from a biblical definition. But as we look at that word and we seek to understand it, it starts to become clear that it's not exactly like it's depicted in the good place. That being right with God is somehow earned by scoring lots of points with your good deeds. It's, it's much more relational. It's not about the afterlife as such. The afterlife isn't irrelevant to the concept. But it's really about being in good relationship with God right now. When people in the Bible are described as being righteous, it's because they are in good relationship with God in the present. It's not something that they're going to cash in on later in life. So it's already more relational than what we get presented in the TV show. In the passage, it's written by Paul, right? Now, Paul used to be called Saul, and his journey to becoming a follower of Jesus is significant in the way we think about this idea of being righteous. So when he was Saul, he was hardcore into the Old Testament. The Jewish religion is based on the Old Testament without the New Testament. He was a hardcore Jew and he followed that law in as much detail as he possibly could. And in verses 5 and 6 of Philippians chapter 3, he outlines some of the things that he did just to show how hardcore he was. So he changed his uh, physical appearance through circumcision. So he's like physically shown to be one of God's people. If you're not sure what circumcision is, ask your mum and dad. He also talks about his national loyalty and his racial loyalty to the Jewish people. He talked about how intensely he obeyed the Old Testament to the point where he became part of a group called the Pharisees. The Pharisees were so into obeying the law that they made a whole bunch of extra laws to make sure they never stuffed up obeying the original laws. 
super pedantic dudes. He was a well-known senior Pharisee and he was so into it that when Jesus came along and changed things, Paul became an enemy of Jesus and his people. Oh, Saul at that point. Because Jesus came and said, you know what? The Old Testament's still very relevant and we need to know the Old Testament and it's important, but we don't have to do all the rituals and all the customs that were in the Old Testament because I've come and fulfilled the purpose of a bunch of those. And so Jesus changed the way things went. And so followers of Jesus didn't do all the Jewish customs. And that was not very popular with Pharisees. And so what we have in the book of Acts, which is not written by Paul, but he's a character in the story, a person in the story, in, is, we see him pop up in this story that happens in Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8. That is the story of Stephen, the first person we have recorded as being killed for their faith in Jesus. A mob gets him. Um, they push him to change his faith. He says no. He sticks with it. He he even preaches to them a little bit and tells them how great Jesus is. And then they stone him to death. And at the end of that story, um, at the first verse of Acts chapter 8, it says that Saul was there approving of Stephen's death. That Saul had been organising the death of Christians. And yet if you keep reading the book of Acts, which I'd encourage you to do and to follow that story through, Paul has an encounter with Jesus. Jesus appears to him in a vision, completely changes uh, his understanding of God, completely changes his life, and he becomes a follower of Jesus and ends up writing big parts of the New Testament. And when he becomes a follower of Jesus and Jesus reveals himself to him, his understanding of how to be righteous, how to be right with God, changes significantly. Away from a performance-based do the good morals, do the good religious stuff thing, and towards a model of faith, which I'll unpack for you in a moment. Uh, theologically, this is sometimes called the faith versus works debate or the faith versus works comparison that goes on. Uh, and it's a very important one into understanding Christianity. So Paul, in this section of Philippians, is outlining to the um, Christian people in the city of Philippi that there, are, that there is the right way to get right with God and the wrong way to get right with God. The right way is obvious in verse 9. Have a look at that. He talks about his righteousness there and he says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So if you believe in performance-based righteousness, a la the TV show, then you believe that being right with God is actually something that you achieve, that you create through your good actions. Paul talks about a righteousness that doesn't come from us, it comes from God and is given to us freely when we have faith in Jesus. And Jesus is the one who locks that all in. His death, his life, his death and his resurrection um, confirm that righteousness is given to us by God. And so Paul says this is the righteousness that he has. This is the righteousness that the church is to chase after. Uh, and this is the right way to be right with God. The wrong way is either to go full performance, good people or good religious people get in, bad people don't, or 
to do a bit of a halfway thing, and this is probably the one that maybe in, in, a, in a church like ours we'd be at the most risk of, and that's to go, yeah, Jesus is really important. Jesus is significant. Jesus does bring some sort of righteousness. But I want to add some stuff to that. Jesus plus some other actions. Jesus plus some other behavior. Jesus plus some other rituals or traditions that you need to do in order to be right with God. And it's that category that Paul's particularly scathing on in verse 2. So have a look what he calls them. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Now I realize there's probably some dog lovers in the room who go, what's wrong with dogs? Dogs are great. But think of all the bad things that dogs can do. You know, the ones that poo right outside your car door you know so as soon as you get out you step in it the ones who bark all night keeping you awake the ones that eat stuff you know know, the the problem dogs Um, or think of it like this this is a bit more intense but if a dog goes mad or crazy or is just you know particularly say a farm dog just loses the plot and is no longer an effective member of the farm community that dog just gets shot you know so this it's very deliberately intense language being used here towards people who are promoting a Jesus plus type of righteousness. Paul's scathing on them. He says, you've got to watch out for them. You've got to guard against them. What they are doing is evil. The idea that the good place presents in its funny way is almost the opposite to what Christianity teaches. It's not about performance of us. It's about the performance of Jesus. At Youth Unite a couple of weeks ago, uh, we sang a couple of songs uh, here in this room. And one of them had this recurring couple of lines in the um, chorus, which is a, a great thing to have in our minds. Singing about God's love, it said, I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. It's a great couple of lines in that song and it's on about exactly what Paul's on about here. That actually, when it comes to being in good relationship with God, none of us deserves to have that relationship with God and you can't earn your way into it. The only way is by having faith in Jesus. So instead of, you know, spending your whole life building a tower of good deeds as high as you possibly can, it's more like you're right down here at the base level, maybe even below ground, you know, if you've racked up enough bad deeds, you put your faith in Jesus, God just scoops down, picks you up and brings you straight into relationship with him. None of the building is required. I told this story years ago, I think the first year I started um, working here. I'm going to tell it again. I've got a mate of mine, I've shared my faith with him a lot over the last couple of decades and lent, you know, gave him a Bible and, and he's read slabs of the Bible and we've talked through it. And he basically told me one day when we had a really serious conversation about it that he, did, he basically believed the Bible and he believed Christianity, I guess, but that God could not love him. It's like a, he believed that God could love other people, that other people could be right with God, but that he couldn't. The things that he'd done wrong, he said were too bad and they counted him out and he's wrong he's wrong 
That is not what the Bible teaches in any place, in the, uh, anywhere in the Bible. And in fact, you have a look at Mark chapter 2, verse 17. Jesus said this, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is basically saying, Hey, if you're perfectly good, you don't, you don't need me. I've come to, to call the people like me, who stuff things up sometimes, and sometimes live selfishly and sometimes do evil. And he's come to call those sorts of people, which pretty much everyone fits into that category, not perfectly good people. And for whatever reason, my mate, he couldn't accept that. And I still hope that one day he will accept it. Nonetheless, what I want to say to you now is I believe he's wrong, And that actually anyone who puts their faith in Jesus can receive God's love, God's forgiveness, and be right with him. So if you are visiting with us today, you're not a Christian, you're just sort of checking things out. just want to encourage you, if you've ever attached that good place idea, that performance-based religion to Christianity, just ditch it. Just get rid of it. It's not helpful. It's not true. It's not the way things work. Leave it behind and instead embrace uh, a Christianity that talks about God's unconditional love. If you are a Christian, what we need to do is to make sure that we never present people with a picture of Christianity that is anything more than what it is, that is Jesus plus, that is Jesus plus performance or Jesus plus religion, this sort of thing. We've got to avoid doing that because a lot of people think that's what it is. And so in the way we speak and in the way we live, we want to try and overturn that understanding and send it in a much more healthy, more biblical, more true direction. We want to avoid getting categorised as evil dogs by a writer in the Bible. Before I finish, I want to talk about one more thing that Paul says, and it's in verse 8. Uh, Because mostly up until then he's talked about his religious background and how he considers all of that stuff that he did to be a loss, you know, to be unimportant, to kind of be a waste of time um, up until then. But he extends that in verse 8. Have a look at it. He says, What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. So it's not just his religious achievements that he considers a loss. It's everything. And it's all about a comparison, right? So when compared to knowing Jesus and being made right with Jesus, he considers everything a loss. I don't think he's saying that everything else in life is a complete waste of time and completely unimportant. It's a comparison thing. You know, when compared to Jesus, these things are like rubbish, as it says. In the passage, so you know, when compared to knowing Jesus, uh, winning, you know, sporting achievement, other sorts of victories, they're like rubbish. When compared to knowing Jesus, money, being wealthy, it's like rubbish. When compared to knowing Jesus, stuff, I don't know, car, house, rubbish. When compared to knowing the unconditional love of Jesus, any sort of academic achievement, some sort of perfect score or whatever, it's rubbish. 
This is the comparison he's making. This is how good it is to have a God who loves us unconditionally and who doesn't require our performance. He's very passionate about it. It's the best. And he's also very passionate about people trying to add things to that and change that to make it something else. There's a song we sing in church fairly regularly, um, famous one called In Christ Alone. And the key line in that, we'll put it on the screen, is in Christ alone my hope is found. So my hope in life and in death is found only in Christ. Right? This is what it's saying, only in Jesus. Sometimes I wonder whether we sub out a word or two in that sentence. Not in the way we sing it, the musicians singing that line the same every time, uh, but just in the way we live. So instead of saying in Christ alone, we might sub something out and go, well, in financial security alone, my hope is found. Or in the approval of others alone, my hope is found. Or in the Aussie dream alone, my hope is found. Or maybe we leave Christ in. Maybe you're a Christian, you probably wouldn't just want to drop him. But you take out the word alone and add some extra stuff to the, to the sentence. So, in Christ and my career, my hope is found. Or in Christ and my romantic relationship, my hope is found. Or in Christ and my comfort is found. And we can start adding things to the way we follow Jesus. Again, those things I've listed, you know, they're like a career or... Um, friendships and relationships and so on they're not I'm not saying that those things are evil in and of themselves but in com- when compared with knowing the God who created everything and who loves us unconditionally they are unimportant and we need to live like that Paul in the last couple of verses of this section verse 10 and 11 makes it very clear that he will be ready to um, endure more suffering, even death, if it meant he had more Jesus in his life. That's a pretty big challenge, particularly from a guy who's experienced a lot of suffering and is writing this letter from prison, right? So he's already experiencing a whole lot. But if he could experience more Jesus, he's prepared to go through that. And so that's a challenge for us too. You know, Just ask yourself these sort of questions. I'm going to throw a few questions at you. If you were to present a choice, you had more money in your life or more Jesus, which would you choose? Or more popularity or more Jesus? More security or more Jesus? More sex or more Jesus? More success or more Jesus? More leisure, fun time or more Jesus? More comfort or more Jesus? It's an intense passage, right? Paul is really showing just how intense he is in the way he thinks about Jesus and what Jesus has achieved. And just how amazing it is to be declared righteous with no performance necessary. The warning is there that if we add things to this understanding of righteousness, it's going to lead to problems. It's going to lead to problems in your life as an individual. It's going to lead to problems in our church 
don't do it. Don't add things to what Jesus has done. In fact, whenever we add things to what Jesus has done, we take away from what Jesus has done. So there's the warning there, but there's also the encouragement. And the encouragement is that God loves us unconditionally, that we don't have to earn his love, that it's given freely. And all we need to do is to put our faith in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray for that. And then Robin's going to come up and help us to reflect a little bit more on what we've learned. Dear God, thank you for your love. We don't deserve it. All of us stuff up. You know, no one here is perfect. And uh, we can be very selfish and self-centered and we can worship things as if they were you. And yet you love us anyway. That's awesome. We thank you for it. Thank you for sending Jesus to prove that love, to demonstrate it so powerfully in his life and his death and his resurrection. Lord, for anyone here who has not experienced what it means to be right with you, I pray that you would use the remainder of our time together tonight to work powerfully through your spirit and show them a glimpse of what it means to be loved unconditionally by the creator of everything. And Lord, for those of us who have tasted that, who have experienced that, help us to hold on to it, to not let it go, to not sub other things in to replace Jesus in our lives, but to always have him as the center, the most important thing. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm.